God is good. Amen. KD, would you give me some more? Thank you. You are, wow. Man, I didn't even get it out of my mouth and you were on top of it. You were awesome. Thank you. Why don't you look at somebody this morning? Uh, you don't have to shake hands or get close or get closer than six feet or anything unless they're in your household. But why don't you look at somebody this morning and say, I am so glad to see you in church. Amen. You know, we have a saying around here that when you spend a lot of time with Jesus, you get prettier. So, so if you need to get prettier, you need to spend more time with Jesus. So why don't you look at somebody this morning and say, my, my, you must have spent a lot of time with Jesus this week. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Church, we've been in a series called Jesus, the Way, the Truth, and the Life for the last two weeks, and uh, I kicked it off with Jesus 2020, which was my one and only political sermon for this season, and then we moved in uh, to part two, which was supposed to be Pastor Eddie, but Pastor Eddie got put in quarantine jail last week, uh, so actually the Lord gave me another uh, word to bring, and I brought that last week, and then this week, in case you didn't know, we've had small groups on Wednesday nights for the last eight weeks. This past Wednesday night, we had a hurricane coming in. The hurricane hit, so we canceled small groups because the sheriff's department said they really didn't want anybody on the roads past 4 p.m. because the hurricane was scheduled to hit us at 7. Uh, so we decided to cancel small groups just to be obedient uh, to the sheriff's department and what they desired to keep people safe. And we moved our small groups from last week to this week. So if you did not, oh, thank you. I am so sorry, baby. I know how you feel about those flowers. I just, I just kicked them over. <laughs> so uh, we moved our last small group of this season from last week to this week. So our groups will be meeting this Wednesday night for the last portion of the eight weeks. It'll be the last group. And then the next Wednesday is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So we're actually canceling uh uh, any events on campus that night so that uh, y'all like if you're like me you'll be doing a lot of prepping and cooking uh, because I like to smoke turkeys um, so I'll be I'll be prepping my turkeys and cooking and getting ready for family uh, to come over and if your Thanksgiving has not been canceled uh, praise Jesus you you go ahead and, and do what you need to do uh, on that Wednesday night and get ready and then the next Wednesday night we will be back in here for normal Wednesday night service so if those of you who haven't been here for a normal Wednesday night service, I know we have some people that have just come in the last eight weeks, and you didn't even know what we did before, but Wednesday night service is kind of a life application, uh, teaching, and a little bit of worship. We spend a, about an hour together from seven to eight. Uh, so the week after Thanksgiving, we'll get back into the role of things here in the sanctuary, and everybody is welcome to come out and, and take part in that. Amen. But what I was getting to is during those weeks, me and Pastor Eddie and Pastor Brad have been meeting and, and putting together this sermon series. Uh, so this week, we, we decided that for the month of November, we would tag team preach uh, because these, these men, Pastor Brad hasn't had the opportunity to preach here yet. Uh, Pastor Eddie has, but it's been a while. Uh, so we decided to tag team preach this month. I've done the first two and uh, today, I want you guys to welcome Pastor Brad as he preaches for the first time uh, from this pulpit on Sunday morning. How's everyone doing? 
they usually don't give me a mic to talk because I've got a, I got a loud mouth, so that's why they got me on a guitar. But I'm super happy to be here with you guys. Um, this section, you know, it's a little different for me. But anyways, um, I'm going to preach out of the book of Luke today, um, but I'm going to start with some cool pictures. So um, typically in the Bible, Jesus uses fishing. Um, oh, these are tiny pictures. No, they're big pictures. Okay, never mind. Um, God, God will use the, uh, the metaphor of like fishing, um, being coming fishers of men and, and saving lost and stuff like that. So um, I read Luke 5 and it kind of blew my mind um, just reading it a little bit differently than I've ever read it before. And it talks about like casting your nets in the deep. So that's where we're going to go today. But um, I'm going to tell you guys about my probably my best day ever fishing real quick, um, just so we can kind of relate to this and go back and forth. So this is one of my customers. If you guys don't know, I'm a marine mechanic, have my own business. A little plug there, but anyways. Um, so it's really cool when you have customers that become friends where they invite you out on their big expensive boats because I know I can't afford a boat like this, but this is a 39-foot fountain. We went out to the middle grounds. The boat runs 60 to 70 miles an hour, top speed. So we went out 120 miles about an hour. So um, just scroll through the pictures if you want, Katie. You can just keep going through. So we were catching all kinds of fish, red snapper, caught some grouper, caught a couple hogfish. So, I mean, it was... Honestly, the best day I've probably ever had on the water just because it's the experience of riding on something so gigantic, riding 60 miles an hour, it just felt like you're riding on like an aircraft carrier. You didn't feel anything, you know. Um, and, it, and it goes back to what, oh, that's the Sea of Galilee. That's another picture. Guys, this is the Sea of Galilee, by the way, for, for a little bit later on. But that's not where we were fishing. But, um, but anyways, it goes back to, uh, when, I was, when I was reading these verses, I was thinking in my head, man, there's so many times in America that, like, we read the Bible and we're like, man, like, what? okay, God said go out into the deep, catch fish. That's easy. We catch fish all the time. Ain't no big deal, man. We got 950 horsepower back there. Like, we could ride out 60 mile an hour. It's not a big deal, you know. Um, so, so for me, when I started really reading this, I, I started to take apart, and I'm like, they didn't have none of that stuff. They had a little sailboat and some oars and, you know, some guys. And so it kind of puts things a little bit in perspective. So I want you guys to just be thinking of that as I'm going through this. Okay, so uh, let's, let's go ahead and start in Luke 5 real quick. It's up there. Okay. On one occasion, while the, uh, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word, he was standing at the lake by um, Lake Agenestrit. That's also called the Sea Galilee. Okay. He saw the two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out your nets into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and, looked, and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down your nets. And when they, had come to, when they had done this, they had enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners, and the other boat, and came to help them. And they came and filled the boats um, so that they began to sink. But then, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished in the catch of fish that they had taken. And, sorry guys, it's hard to see. And so also were with James and John, sons of Zebedee, who, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you'll be catching men. And they, had let, they brought their boats to the land, and they had left everything and followed them. So it, it blew my mind thinking about that day. We had a half a million dollar setup, 
going out having the best day of our lives, right? We caught so many fish. And, and as I'm reading this scripture, it was blowing my mind thinking, this is Simon Peter's best day ever, his best fishing story ever. His fish were this big. You know, it's the whole, you can hear the whole story of them talking to their kids and their grandkids and stuff. And it had nothing to compare to my 50 fish that we caught. You know, so for anyone that fishes in here, you know, something like that is just a huge, gigantic miracle, right? So, um, so I think that the thing, the number one thing that talks about here is um, we're, we're talking about preparing for a revival. And I think that as a church, you know, we need to be prepared not only for fishing, but we need to be prepared to, to, to house a revival, okay? So my point one is learn how to fish, all right? So before Jesus ever steps in your boat, in this boat, we need to equip ourselves with the ability um, for what he's about to give you. So these boys have been fishing most likely from a young age. Likely their fathers and grandfathers had been fishermen, and they had the knowledge to get them out there. So you, you look at generations past and stuff like that, but it's a perfect example. My grandfather's in the house. My dad's in the house. My grandpa was a mechanic. Naturally, my dad became a mechanic, and sadly, now I'm a mechanic. So I, I look at the same thing. We have the knowledge in our, in our lifestyle in, in the generations past. We have the knowledge to fix just about anything with YouTube and all that stuff going on too. You know, so, so I feel like these fishermen, when Jesus told them, hey, why, why don't you go out into the deep and go fishing? They probably looked at Jesus like, dude, you, you, you build tables. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, you don't know. But, but at the same time, you know, they understood the authority and said, okay, you know, let's go, uh, let's go out and fishing, you know. So I think as Christians... As Christians, we often need to reflect on what he's brought us through because every situation we face in life, whether good or bad, is going to grow us as Christians stronger. So it comes back to looking at your generation's past and saying, okay, you know, this is what I was doing. You know, this is God. This is what you brought me through. So this is how I'm going to handle the situation, okay? So um, a perfect example of looking back is we live right next to the Withlacoochee River. It's beautiful. It's incredible. And the Withlacoochee River, just like the Mississippi River and several others, got dams and stuff in there where you have floodwaters that rise, right? So for me, every time I run down the Withlacoochee River, you could see rings around the trees where the floodwaters have risen and fallen. You know what I mean? So... So every time I look at those trees, I always think about my spiritual walk with God. You know, I've been to Africa. I've seen people in America get out of wheelchairs, healings, just about anything. I mean, we're Pentecostal. You see about any crazy thing you could possibly see, you've seen it. So, you know, as Christians, you know, sometimes we need to look back on our past situations and say, you know what, if God brought me through that, if I was able to forgive that person, if I was able to, if, if he was able to heal that person, he can do this in my life, you know. Um, for, for my wife and I, my, one of my big high water moments was we were trying to have a baby. We, uh, you know, we struggled for about a year and a half and we prayed and prayed and prayed and, you know, getting no answers, thousands of dollars at doctor's visits, you know, everyone saying, oh, you know, just wait, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But, um, finally at the, at, you know, God set us up with the right people. God set us up with the, in the right house, you know, and, and we conceived and had a child, you know, so Maverick, little guy plays guitar. He's awesome. So, you know, I look back and say, you know, in, in starting my business, you know, you look back and say, man, you know, financially, it's really hard, you know, and, and spiritually, you know, I get up here and have a bad week or something, and it's like, it just kicks my butt, you know, and I remember, I look back and say, you know what, God made a promise to us, you know, he, he gave us a kid, you know, God, I've seen God cast out demons, you know, in this house, you know, I've seen, I've seen healings, and, and, you know, so you have to look back on those things and say, hey, I know how to fish, I know how to do this, right, so, 
Um, in saying that, I want to kind of go back to the history of our Pentecostal heritage, okay, at least for America. So I'm going to preach a little bit and talk about the Azusa Revival a little bit. So if you guys bear with me, I'm going to just read a little bit real quick. So um, who in here knows about the Azusa Revival besides hearing about it? So awesome. That's really cool. So I learned about this about a year and a half ago at, uh, when, I was, when I was going through my schooling to become a pastor and stuff, and it blew my mind just hearing the stuff about it. So um, this gentleman named Charles Parham, okay, he moved to Topeka, Kansas, um, to, to, or he moved from Topeka, Kansas to Azusa to start another college after his Bible college burnt down, basically. So what, what Charles Parham did in that time, it was about a year span, is he got about 30 students together and he said, okay, what we're going to do every single day is we're going to pray, we're going to read, and we're going to minister. And that was literally what they did every single day. They, they became parts of ministry and stuff like that. Well, the Spirit of God absolutely just fell into place. I mean, the place went into absolute revival. It was incredible. And then literally, uh, almost to the day, a year later, the place burnt down. So, um, you know, everyone's like, what the heck's going on? And, and a, lot of, a lot of people will say, like, God, God, burnt, God burnt the college down because they didn't want it to be like a monument of, you know, that's Charles' deal. That's, you know, that's, that it's God, you know. But I just think it burned down, just my opinion. But, um <laughs> Somebody probably left the toaster on too long. But, um, but anyways, okay, so he, uh, Charles Parham moved, moved over to Azusa to start a little Bible college, and he was doing some evangelism. So he was holding a, holding a revival in a little church off Ninth Street and Santa Fe Avenue. Um, and he brought in one of his students, and this is in the 1900s. The guy was black. His name was William Seymour. Um, he was a teacher, and he was a son of slaves. So he was a pastor of a small church in Topeka, Kansas, but he was also one of Charles' students, which is really important. You know, it talks about, like, the fathering heritage, you know, and uh, as, as a worship leader, I, I was, before I was here, I was, I was leading worship with our youth worship team and, and our, our adult worship team over at, a, at another church. And my whole goal as a worship pastor is to raise up people around me, you know, because it, it talks about, like, the the, uh, the the sight of a true leader is how many people come past you, you know what I mean? So it's not about me, it's about it's about raising up people that can come past you, you know, and sending people out. So, um, so anyway, so I really think that Charles Parham's heart in this was, hey, I'm going to bring this guy in, he's a great guy, I'm going to give him a chance, just like many people have done to me, um, and, and let him preach. So, Charles, William Seymour, a couple, couple small fun facts about him. Um, he was self-taught in reading, felt extremely inadequate, was ostracized by the KKK just like most African-American people were in that time. Um, and he, but he felt like if he preached the gospel, it would liberate him and his friends from the oppression of the KKK. So it was a big deal in the time for this guy to come out and to literally just begin to start a revival, right? So, um, and also something that's really cool about him is he was, he was proclaimed by others as a very, very humble man. So, um, so William came into this church, preached the first night of revival. The Holy Spirit fell. Everyone's getting filled with the Holy Spirit. It's crazy. It's awesome. And um, politics got in, you know. So the church, the church had never seen this. And they said, no, we're not dealing with this. So, you know, he was like, we're going to hold another night, you know, every, you know, so like half the church was divided and stuff. So they locked him out. So he came up to the church, preached the next night. They locked him out. So poor Charles, he's a, he's a pastor. And I don't know if you guys know about pastors, but they don't always make a lot of money. So this guy's a pastor and he is, he's all the way, you know, he's from, 
from Kansas all the way over to California, has hardly any money. So he's like, what am I going to do? So a church family came in and said, hey, we'll house you until you get some stuff figured out. You know, we'll put you in. So um, in exchange, he said, okay, well, let's just start doing some Bible studies here. So the first night, about eight people were there, and the Holy Spirit fell again. And it was just incredible. Just a little house, people got filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, news began to spread like wildfire. So it got to the point where they outgrew the house, and it was just every single night they were doing Bible studies and stuff. So it got to the point where they started to overfill the house. So he said, okay, well, let's just go ahead. He's like, I'll preach out on the, the porch. So then they started to fill up the yard. And then it, it got to the point where literally – it filled the entire street with people, just thousands of people showing up to hear this guy preach the gospel and, and to hear about this new refreshing. So they didn't know back in the 1900s there, was, there wasn't really much on the Holy Spirit. There wasn't much on the, the, the moves of God because we went through kind of a dark age um, because of things that were going on in the world. So this is really the, the first real spark in the last 200 and something years that, that like, I mean, the Spirit of God really started to fall in, especially in the United States. So... Um, on, a, on a mass level, of course. But um, so anyways, uh, let me go back here. <laughs> I'm breathing. I'm breathing. Okay, so this was considered ground zero for the Azusa Street Revival. Uh, and, and they got, got to the point where the, uh, the, the meetings got so big that it started getting media attention. And the, the meetings grew even bigger and bigger and bigger. So... What they did is they said, "All right, let's let's move out from here and let's buy a church." So they bought an old down, old rundown Methodist church called the Azusa Street Mission. So from 1906 to 1913, the revival held on. So pretty incredible. But the the fun fact for today is the day that the Azusa Street revival launched in the Methodist church, the Great Earthquake in California happened. Which that just blows my mind. It's just God's God's shaking a nation spiritually, but God's shaking a nation physically. So even though it was terrible, you know, all these things happened, but like God's God's bringing judgment, He's bringing revival, you know, right? So um, so something that was known about this this church is healings were happening on a regular basis. The walls of the church were lined with crutches and wheelchairs. Uh, a 15 year old girl was declared dead by the doctors. They brought her in a casket. She walked out the church. I mean, come on, how amazing is that? Could you imagine just People walk in saying, hey, let's do it. You know, so uh, people claimed to see the fire of God from two blocks away. They held 24-7 prayer the entire time of the meeting. And this, this really was the birth of the major Pentecostal movement um, that's, that's backed by Christian and non-Christian scholars that literally shook the world. So it all started from two, two guys, you know, Charles and, Charles and Old Willie, right? So, um, and, and honestly, we're limited to... Uh, knowing if there's really any other huge move of God just because documents weren't kept the way they are today. Uh, and it was, it was really considered like a seed for the new time revival, which spread across the world. So, again, you know, why do I give you guys all this information about the revival? I got, I got really three things that, you know, I'd have to say about that is if we don't know where we came from personally as a church, or if we do know where we came from personally as a church, it helps us set up our boat in a way that makes the spirit move freely and is easily. So, and it also can help us identify ourselves in the body. So, um, a cool thing about us is I can literally trace my spiritual heritage back to the 50s from a little church in Clearwater. So, um, it's, it's crazy. So, we went, hold on a second. It messes me up every time I think about it. But this, this little church in Clearwater, the, a group of people got together and same thing. They held a tent revival in Clearwater on the same property that the church is based at now. 
And because somebody said yes, somebody held a revival, you know, those people got saved. They got, they established a church. Our pastor that was down there got saved, became a pastor in the Keys, and reached out to our family. We were playing t-ball, having fun, and this pastor just laid, you know, he, uh, he laid my parents on his heart. And, and so, you know, they started reaching out. My dad went fishing with them, got, you know, and, and our family got radically saved because some, somebody said yes, just like this. You know what I mean? So, you know, don't think that any, any little thing that you do doesn't make a difference because it can literally shape somebody's future 50, 75 years down the line. So, so I say that because I'm, I mean, and I'm sure it's probably the same story for every single person if you really trace down and said, who got, who, you know, who led you to the Lord? Who led you to the Lord? And for some people, it might be in this house right here. You know, this might be where you found him. Um, and that's amazing, you know. Uh, but for me, I know that my roots are birthed out of a revival, out of out of prayer and intercession, you know. And it's it's really cool to know about that. And and for me, as a as a worship leader, the reason why I worship the way I do, the reason why I praise the way I do, is because um, because growing up in church, I was just the guy that was like, man, I'd love to be up there. I would love to do that. And I I feel like in my heart, I did things right. You know, I started doing sound and learning sound stuff and just volunteering where I could. And it's funny, Pastor Mike sitting back there. I was in children's church with him as a kid, you know, do, doing, literally doing anything I possibly could just to be in ministry, you know. And I would have never thought in a million years as a kid that I would be where I am right now, you know. Um, and then also, uh, you know, I'm just calling everybody out. But there's Miss Jody and Tim. Um, Tim Hines is my spiritual parents. You know, I, I did, went, when I first started leading worship, I'd go with, I'd go with them and do do prayer meetings and stuff like that. And he just kept telling me, you know, find the song of the Lord. So that's literally what I do. Is every single service, I try to find where the Lord is, and we just try to stay there and and camp out. You know, because that's that's where he is. You know, we did it today. We did it last week uh, in the altars for an hour and a half. You know, um, I don't I don't want to move anywhere unless he tells me to. So, um, so, but the, but the big number two here is if you look at the Azusa Street Revival, something happens. William takes the spotlight, the humble man, the awesome guy, right? And there's nothing wrong with Charles, but what happened to him is he became jealous of William, and he started to disagree with, with the way he was. He didn't agree that he's, he, he was racist and had, had issues. He didn't agree with the segregation and all that stuff. So... He, he separated himself in the early stages of the movement. But the, the crummy part of this whole situation is he missed out on one of the greatest revivals known to the history of, history of America just about. So I think as a church, what that tells me is, you know, we, we look at each other all the time and we look at different churches and the Catholic and the Baptist churches and stuff like that. And we need to realize that, like, we're not any better than anyone else, you know, and that we need to have a united front as a church body if we want to shake our county if we want to shake the state of Florida or America. So, and, and, and the other point that I'm going to bring up, the reason why I'm really bringing all this up is, uh, is a, a guy named Apostle Dan, he, he preached on um, about a couple weeks ago when we were at that son's meeting, and he said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. So what I'm saying is, you know, God's not, God might not come in the same way that's a good one too, yeah. But um, God's, God's not going to come exactly in the same way as a Sousa revival, but he will come in a similar way. His spirit is still familiar. You know, God doesn't change, right? So people are the people that change. Um, so again, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk, just point two is going to say unity in the church. So verse 7 in Luke says, God not only used Simon's boat, right? 
So his boat began to fill up and sink. His, his lines began to break. And he had to call on his friends and say, hey, we got too many fish here. I need some help, right? So, so as churches, we've, we can often become selfish and thinking that our way is the best way. It's just natural. You know, as a pastor, I, I think that, you know, the way I lead worship might be better than someone else's. But it's really hard to get caught up in that. <laughs> Look at the moment, sorry. I, <laughs> um, but but it's, you, you can't get caught up in that. It's just every single church is called to a different purpose. I love the, I love the presence of this church, and I love um, the way this church functions. Um, but the last church I was at, we explained worship is, worship is like, like somebody running and you're sitting in the back and they just grab you by the shirt collar and throw you at the altar, you know, and that was the presence of worship. But I, I, every time I'm up here in worship, it's typically not like that. It's typically this sweet presence of God and it's, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It doesn't have to be anything. It's just a sweet presence. And I think that that falls on the, you know, the, the leaders of the house. You guys are a sweet couple. You guys are loving and and that's what you feel every time i enter into worship i just feel loved you know um and and the 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 call of this house is to reach restore redeem you know but other churches might not have that calling you know what i mean so so we're we're here you guys are marriage pastors you know and and so you're you're calling out and and re- and you guys are <laughs> sorry you, you, guys are, you guys are calling things out, and you guys are redeeming people and restoring people, you know, and that's, that's what we do as a church. So, um, you know, I mean, could, could you imagine if the revival hit and then we just look at the Baptist church or the, the Catholic church and be like, you know, like that's, God, God can't bless that. You know what I mean? So um, I put, put point number three up there on the board, please. Okay, so you have to expect, expect or prepare for what's coming. So... The thing that I wrote down a while ago is you don't prepare, um, you don't build an arsenal in times of war, you do it in times of peace. You know, so if, if something does hit, if the revival does hit, you know, it's typically because, you know, it's, it's historically the church grows in times of persecution. So it's honestly great that these things are happening because there's so much being exposed, but the church is now awake and realizing, holy smokes, like we got to do something. You know what I mean? So as a church right now, we're, we're in a very pivotal time in America where we either need to wake up or, or we're, we're going to be in big trouble, you know. So we, we need to start building up our arsenal. We need to start preparing ourselves, getting ourselves deep in the word. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, you're having a baby. We just had a kid. You know, you, uh, you, you go out and you buy clothes and, and you go and do all this stuff. You don't just show up to the hospital and then, you know, you got to carry them in your arms home. You get a car seat. You know, you got to prepare for what's coming, okay. Um, I was going to read some, some verses um, but I'm not going to read those. So, um, so and, and ask yourself this, you know, what, what steps as the church are we doing to prepare ourselves for a revival, a revival in this county? You know, what are we setting ourselves up? Are we, are we doing things? And, and that's just not just us leadership team. I'm talking about churches as a collective, you know. As a, as a marine mechanic and I'm mobile, I go out to people's houses, and I'm typically one-on-one with a customer. And it's typically a bunch of older guys, and that's great. But I try at least... At least one time in the conversation, I try to at least bring up that I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and just see where it goes. And sometimes it goes absolutely nowhere, and sometimes they get drawn in. And I've had amazing opportunities where I've been able to, to talk to people about Jesus, to pray about them, to give them hope. You know, so that's one of them things. Revival doesn't just start from a building, it starts from us inside, okay? So, um, so point number four says he's coming in a way you might not expect, okay? So right now, if you look across the world, 
There is a revival that's sweeping the nation that doesn't look like anything that's ever happened. It's not just from one man. It's not just from one band, not from one church. All right, it's coming. And, and literally, pastors are up on the stage. They're not laying their hands on anyone. People are just, just showing up and getting radically healed across the room. And I, I really think this is what I've heard from, from many preachers and stuff is God is showing up in a way saying, I'm not going to give one man the credit that it's, it has to be me. You know what I mean? So, and, and I, I think it's incredible, right? So you look at all the, the collectives that are the worship teams across America are doing just because I'm big into worship, you know. Um, there's, there's the Maverick City Worship, which is doing collectives with literally almost every worship team across the country. They're all coming together, and they're, they're sitting in a room writing songs, building music. And that's, that's the perfect sign of unity of, for what I'm talking about, you know. Um, so, so. Anyways, he's coming in a way you might not expect. So verse 4 says, going out, go out into the deep. So, and back, back to what I was saying earlier, I can only imagine what, what uh, Simon Peter was saying. You know, he's like, I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing, you know. Um, go, go back to making tables, you know. No one fishes in the deep water. So there's, there's, there's a couple cool things here about the Sea of Galilee, which you could shoot that picture up. So Dana told me something the other day because Dana's actually been to the Middle East and seen all this stuff. So one fun fact, and then I'll get to the real stuff. So the Sea of Galilee is kind of in a valley, okay? So the thing about the Sea of Galilee is that the winds come across and winds come across, and they can often get trapped in there, right? So for Jesus, when he, he's calmed the waters, it's almost impossible for a raging sea to come and then just immediately silent because it's not like the wind just stops blowing. The wind would get trapped and kind of have like a turbulent effect to it. So that was pretty cool. But also the other thing about this Sea of Galilee is it's not a sea. As you can see, it's a huge lake. So the lake is 13 miles um, 13 miles wide from north to south, but it is 141 feet deep. So when God says go into the deep, they're thinking he's crazy because these guys don't have fishing poles and fishing lines and, and big motors and stuff like that. They've got cast nets and drag nets. So as a fisherman, I know that cast nets are only good about 25 foot. So you know that cast nets are out of the, out of the realm of possibilities for them. But for a drag net to work properly, you have to be traveling at speed. And you have to have, you know, it, it can't be 140 foot deep, you know. And I can only imagine maybe they put them out to 100 foot deep. But you have to look like they didn't have motors pushing their stuff. So for them, it's literally all manual labor or pushing sails. You know, so the fact that God said go out into the deep, you know that they were thinking, dude, you're crazy. You don't know how to fish because there's no physical way we can catch fish with the, the equipment that we have, right? But, but God, of course. So... Um, so when you know this, you know the significance of go out into the deep. Um, so after doing a little bit of research, you know, I learned that, you know, it's about the cast nets and the drag nets and stuff like that. But we also know is that the boats probably ranged from 25 feet to 27 foot in length and carried about 15 people. So these are, these are big boats. I mean, these aren't little canoes, you know. So when you think about sinking a 25 to 27 foot boat, that is a ton of fish, okay? Um... So, and, and imagine trying to drag 120 to 140 foot of line and net behind the boat, as well as the amount of fish that were in the net. I mean, it was literally only a miracle that, that this all could have happened. So, um, so it's possible affecting, um, you told me to, well, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, 
from my from my fishing trip, my experience, you know, pulling up one fish from a hundred and something feet is it's a chore. So I mean, imagine pulling up just huge nets of fish. And and my guess, I could be wrong, but my guess is it's probably not one time going down and up and down and up. They probably did several trips because for one net to be that big, they're not used to catching that many fish. Just just my personal guess. I could be wrong, but um, but anyways, so. You know, I mean, they're, they're pulling out hundreds of times. There's no electric pulleys going on. You know, this is all Stone Ages. Um, so, so what I got out of that is what, what you receive easily, you, you typically will take lightly, okay? And so for somebody that's, that's, that came from, a, you know, had a silver spoon in their mouth, you know, and you get a brand new car when you're 16 years old, you might not appreciate it the way somebody that worked their butt off since they were, you know, middle school and saved and saved and saved and bought the same car, you know, so I think that, you know, reading this passage, these guys had to put in some serious work. It's not like God just took the net and just, whoop, you know, I mean, he had to put, they had to put in some serious work, some serious blood, sweat, and tears to appreciate what was going on. And also, it kind of shows you that God wants you to be a part of this miracle, right? So, uh, if, you, if you go on to read in verse 11, it says they left everything and followed him, okay? So, Reading a little bit and doing a little bit of research, they, they stayed in the area. So I don't necessarily know if they left everything right from that point and followed him like, you know, like zombies or slaves. But what I think that that verse really means is they laid down what they knew. They laid down their fishing. They laid down all that stuff. Um, they, you know, their, their, their families, you know, they, they sacrificed their family time. It's a, it's a position change, right? So... Um, sorry guys, uh, so they left everything that was comfortable, okay, so, but the cool thing about this real, really the cool thing about this story is, um, fish, fish was a currency for them, okay, so Jesus in one day provided not one boat, but a handful of boats, probably a year's worth of salary to, to, to take care of them, right, so, you know, you look at you look at typically in my life and probably in a lot of y'all's lives, when God calls you into something, he'll provide the spiritually and the physical means to do so. So he said, you know, it's he said, take up and come with me. But he's like, hey, I took care of this. Now you're good. Like you don't have any reason to not follow me, right? So and and that's the same thing with you know the perfect picture, him dying on the cross. I took care of all your sin. Now come and follow me. You know what I mean? So um so it's it's gonna cost you everything. Um, so in, in my last point here, man, we're going to get out 12. You guys are going to be able to go to Outback. This is great. Um, my, my point number six is going to be intercession. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. So, um, when, when you, when you're in intercession, you're offering your life in the place of theirs. Okay. So what I'm going to talk about is a personal story with this. So I grew up over in Citrus Springs and, uh, and I heard this story about five years ago and I never really understood you know, why Citrus Springs Middle School is so special. But there's a middle school over in Citrus Springs that about, I think in the 90s, early 2000s, there was a group of people that came together and they would walk the halls of Citrus Springs Middle School and pray and cry out for a revival. So they did it for years and nothing happened. They would just go to the, go to the school, they'd pray and just and cry out for God to move on the school. So... Fast forward to about 2005, 2006, and it's funny, my older brother was a part of this revival as well. A, a girl at the school got radically saved and said, hey, 
we need to start doing something. You know, they had a small little Christian group, but that's all about all they had. So they said, we need to go ahead and do something. You know, let's, let's get together and pray. So the, the, the crazy favor of God, they, the teacher said, okay, you know, why don't we do something on Fridays at lunchtime? So the teachers literally would take the kids and take them out to the courtyard because they had a big courtyard square. And they started with like four kids, and then it built up to this gigantic prayer meeting every single Friday where half the lunchroom was getting up and leaving for prayer, right? So fast forward to my, to my age, all right, I'm in middle school, I'm coming in. The FCA, when they were in school, started out with seven, eight kids. We're running four to 500 kids in a school that runs 700. We literally would fill up an entire gymnasium side. And, and it blows my mind because it all started from a little group of people praying. So, you know, when I was, when I was reading about this passage, uh, or not reading about this passage, but I was thinking about this story, I was really thinking about this house, is how many years have you guys been around? You guys have been, you know, here over, close to or over 40 years. And I think about the prayers that have been prayed over this house, the, the, the hours and hours that you guys have fasted and prayed for a revival, for something to move. And what if us as a church right now, would raise up and say, hey, let's do something. Let's shift something. You know, let's, let's go out. Let's, let's be the church. So, so I encourage you guys today that, that um, you know, I, I want you guys to be that. You know, I encourage you guys to just pray and, 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 and get on your face and, and really shift your mindset towards that. So that's it. <laughs> I'm so grateful that, that God saw fit to bring Pastor Brad to link arms with us and join us in this church, aren't you? And if, if you didn't already know that from him leading worship for the last several months, uh, now you've been able to hear his heart as well. And uh, I'm just so thankful and I'm excited for what God is going to do. Although he did slight me a little bit when he said when he preaches, you guys get out on time. And... I think he called me long-winded, but I'm not sure. Now, uh, would you guys stand with me, and, and let's just, uh, before we leave today, I, I want to do a couple of things. First and foremost, I, I want to ask, is there anybody in the room today that needs to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Maybe you've, you've been through the service today, you've seen the Lord move during worship, and uh, during what Pastor Brad was talking about today, or what I was speaking about earlier uh, or what Pastor John called out during worship, but but right now, like, you just feel a tug in your heart, and it's a pull of the Holy Spirit, and you want to give your life to Christ today. And if that's you, I want to give you that opportunity before we close. And all I'm going to ask you to do is just shoot a hand up. Like, just say, say that's me, Pastor Steve. I just need to give, give my heart to the Lord today. I see that hand. Thank you. Is there, is there anybody else that today is the day you decided? Anybody in the balcony? Church, would you just say this prayer with me for that one hand that just went up, please? Lord Jesus, I need you. I love you. I ask you into my heart. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. Please forgive me of my sins. And today, I proclaim with my mouth that you are Lord and I am saved in Jesus name
Amen. Would you give a hand clap of praise for God? God is so good. If you prayed that prayer for the first time on your way out, we have a Bible. There's a few of them on the table in the back. And uh, they have a decision card in there. If you could fill that out and just give it to one of our ushers or give it to one of our pastoral team uh, on your way out today, we would appreciate that. And if you need a Bible, maybe you've been coming for a while and you didn't get saved today, but maybe you don't own a Bible. If you need one, that's what they're there for. So there's there's four Bibles on the table back there, and we, we would love for you to take one home. Uh, we know it's we're in a we're in a digital age, and you can download an app and have 150 different versions in, in two minutes. Uh, but there's still just something special about holding a Bible in your hand. There's still something special about turning those pages and reading and highlighting and and really just uh, absorbing that. So if you don't have one, feel free to grab one. There's four back there. If all four get taken, we've got more. So just let let our ushers know, okay? But we want to make sure that everybody that needs a Bible gets a Bible. Can I pray over you for dismissal? And uh, thank you so much. Can I can I just say thank you, church, for being so awesome? You guys, you guys are just awesome. Like, I, I, I just love coming and, and coming together with you guys on Sunday morning. God's been doing some some really amazing stuff. He's going to continue doing some amazing stuff. And as Pastor Brad preached on, we're going to see some incredible things happen out of this house. Amen. And we're going to link arms with other houses where incredible things are happening. And we're going to continue to move in the kingdom. Amen. So, so grateful for that. Let's uh, just throw a hand up today. And let's just give God some, some praise as we pray. Father, we thank you today in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for, for showering us in your presence today. Thank you, Lord, for healing us when we need it. Thank you, Lord, for moving on our mind, our wills, and our emotions when we need it. Thank you, Lord, for healing our bodies when we need it. Thank you, Lord, for setting us free from things that keep us in bondage and chains. Thank you, Father, for loving us enough to come and meet with us today. Lord, I pray that your presence would follow us out of this building, into our cars, into our homes, uh, into restaurants, wherever we go, Father, that your presence would follow us. That each and every person in this room, as we make contact with other people out there, that they would wonder what it is that's different about us. And Lord, I would, I would, I pray today, I boldly pray that you would give each and every person in this room an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody this week. That you would bring somebody that's lost across their path and then open the door for them to share their testimony and share what God has done for them and share the gospel of how good Jesus is. And Lord, we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed on time. Have a great day.